This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, an absolute smorgasbord of sports with everything from wheelchair marathon to Major League Baseball. Virgil definitely isn't a virgin if you ask him. And the NBA retires Bill Russell's number six. Good or bad idea? So much. Let's go. It's 9.45 on Friday the 19th of August. We're actually fresh off recording next week's episode. And the reason we did that is because we wanted tonight's footy result to be, oh my goodness, we'll get there, won't we? Crikey. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tipping related laugh. And as you can hear there, Stewie is remote. We are recording over the internet again because he has been a bit crook, haven't you, mate? I've got to say, we might save this for our Christmas uh, period, but... You did a very good impersonation of the maxophone the other before, and it wasn't even intentional. Oh, I did. I did. You're right. No, uh, unfortunately, I have been a bit tully, tully crook the last uh, the last few days. Unfortunately, um, but look, it's it's not COVID. It's just a little bit of well, I had a little bit of food poisoning and the lingering end of a shitty cold. Unfortunately, but yes, it does mean that we are several kilometres apart as opposed to usually about a foot apart. So we'll do our best, and hopefully, the sound will hold up. Before we do what we normally do on these recap episodes, a massive congratulations to friend of the show, the Ginger Assassin. He has qualified once again for the World Air Guitar Championships. He is the Australian winner. And he is, I believe, if not already... No, he must be, I think. He's already in Oulu, Finland, I think. The uh, World Championships will be on the 26th of August, local time there. So... Fingers crossed he he goes well. And if you haven't already listened, it's very entertaining. Please check out episode 95 and also the separate air guitar interview that we released straight after that. Two very, very interesting and enjoyable listens, I would think. And I know you've already said it to him, Nath, but please, 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 Alex, keep Michael Jackson out of your set. <laughs> now, the good news is he's already agreed to join us again when he gets back. So we're very, very looking forward to him regaling us with uh, some of the stories from this year. And hopefully he'll do one better. He's finished second before. So hopefully he'll come home a champion and he'll have plenty of great stories to tell. But as we do at the top every week, when we do the recap episodes, what caught your attention? What'd you miss? Well, a few things this week. So look, I'm going to start off, unfortunately, a little bit political. And it's not something that we like to do on the show, but we have to talk about the, uh, I guess, unfortunate incident at the tennis involving a Ukrainian flag. I don't know if you mm. saw this from the Cincinnati Open. I uh, did. There was a local, yeah, local woman named Lola who was kicked out of a match. Now, it kind of sounds ridiculous, and it makes a little bit more sense once you hear the full details. So it was a match between Anna Kalinskaya and Anastasia Potapova, so an all-Russian match. So Lola's sitting courtside. She's quietly watching the match. She's got a Ukrainian flag on. She's wearing a Ukrainian floral wreath. She's just, you know, minding her own business. But then she gets told by the chair umpire that it's, quote, not nice to sit there with a flag. And she responds by saying it's, quote, not nice to invade a country, which is, a, <laughs> I think, a very, very clever retort. Indeed. And... There were a few protests from people nearby about freedom of speech and the likes, but the marshals decided to eject her from the stadium until she removed the flag. And she was told by the head of security on the way out that 18 by 18 flags are prohibited. And I have a couple of questions for you on this one, Nate. So firstly, do you believe if this was an American flag that she would have been shown the door? And secondly, when Naomi Osaka plays, do you believe a supporter would be kicked out for wearing a Japanese flag that size? Or is that okay because, you know, Pearl Harbor was 81 years ago. Yeah, I, I suspect that uh, your, your uh, implications there are spot on, Stewie. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I think that uh, had they been different colours, might have been a different situation. Hmm. I mean, look, completely understand if she's standing up vocally berating the Russian players, which, again, will point out, not their fault, that, you know, Vladimir Putin's a dickhead. Yes. But when she's sitting silently, she's not impacting the play. It, it kind of goes against their First Amendment rights, really, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's a fair point. Although, I mean, venues can decide how people can act. So, so, but yeah, no, it's an interesting one. Mm. Look, within reason, anyway. It's 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 messy. It's probably the easiest way to put it. So, yeah, not a a great message from the Cincinnati Open, and it goes completely against what happened at Wimbledon, where the Russian and Belarusian players weren't even allowed to play. So it kind of shows the the slightly different stance that America has on this compared to people in the UK. Anyway, that's as political as I want to get with that. Well, the Australian Open, it was, wasn't there a free a Taiwan or, or a Hong Kong or there was, I know there was a China related uh, 
issue at the Australian Open this year as well. So, so yeah, the tennis uh, has had a few of those this year. It has. Now, the second thing I wanted to talk about was Fernando Tatis Jr. So, San Diego Padres superstar Fernando Tatis Jr. suspended for 80 games for testing positive to the banned substance Clostebol, which is Manute Bowl's nephew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to, had to throw in a, uh, a, a terrible little pun there. <laughs> Tatis hasn't played all season, though. He's had a fractured wrist. His teammates kind of sound like they're pissed with him right now. They're five and a half games ahead of the San Francisco Giants in the National League West. I think what's interesting about this, though, is that his dad has come out backing his son and saying that the violation is due to a steroid-containing ringworm medication and that it's a catastrophe that his reputation will be tarnished because of it. Now, first things first, ringworm medication. Like, Is he a dog or something? <laughs> I, I've honestly never heard of a person getting, well, certainly not in America or Australia. I've never heard of anyone getting a ringworm. Have you? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I, I know you can get worms. Is, maybe that's what worms is. I, I, look, it's not something I think about very often, I'll be honest with you. And it's not mm. something I've had to worry about, luckily. Yeah. But I think the big question is, and, and it sort of, there was a little bit of this where they actually spoke about some of the ingredients that were listed on the side of the bottle. And it actually lists Clostebol as one of the two main ingredients. So if he's using something to cure this, and he doesn't check with the team doctors, should we feel sorry for him? Nope. Cool. That's uh, that's pretty much the answer I was expecting. Yeah. Like, athletes should know better. There's no excuse, especially even rookies should know, but he's not a rookie either. And his old man played. So they've been around the Major League Baseball for a long time. Catastrophes may be a slightly inflated version of what I would say. And if it is literally as simple as he's just taken some medication for a ringworm and that's the result of it, then look, it's a shame. But at the same time, yeah, you're a professional athlete. You've got to know better than that. A couple of other quick things. Uh, The Untold, the girlfriend who didn't exist uh, documentary is appearing on Netflix now, I believe. It's the, I don't even know how you say it. You'll need to probably help me with this one. Manti Teo, is it? Or... Oh, yeah, yeah, Manti Teo, yeah, yeah. I saw that yeah. one pop up the other day. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, it's certainly on the short yeah. list. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, he was tricked by a catfisher on the internet before that person claimed that they had died, and he dedicated his next season to her before the whole story came out. And It looks really interesting. I, I'm very, very keen to watch it. I I mean, I, I wasn't excited by Hustle. I watched that the other day. It was built up to this, be this big masterpiece, but I actually found it quite predictable. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of, I find that these documentary ones are a little bit more interesting. Yes, definitely. It's funny you say that, actually. So lately, I've I've only been watching the footy and following the footy, and it has given me more room to to watch other things. So I've watched two episodes of Bad Sport, including the point shaving one with Isaac Burton, which is really uh-huh. interesting. Uh, and I also watched the Hansi Cronier one as well. So yeah, I've been, and I've watched the first couple of episodes of the, I forget what it's called on Stan, but about the agents in the AFL. So yeah, I've been watching a lot of, a lot of sport related docos lately as well, as well as the fire festival one. And funnily enough, I felt way more sorry for Isaac Burton and uh, Stevon Headache Smith, who came from relative poverty than I did about the uh, entitled rich brats that had a pretty unfortunate time at fire. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a shit show that was. Oh, well, I haven't seen it, but it looks pretty damn bad. Oh, man. Now, I want to finish this with a bit of fun. We've all heard the stories about Wilt Chamberlain supposedly betting 20,000 women in his life. Did you hear the story about former WWE star Virgil by any chance? One million, wasn't it? Yeah, he's, uh, he's been on the Breadstick Diaries podcast and answered the viewer question, what's your number, Virgil? How many girls? With, I don't know, maybe like worldwide, probably a million. What? It's, it's one of the most ridiculous claims you could imagine. It's like he doesn't realize that people can actually do maths. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, he is a wrestler, you know. So. Well, so to put this into perspective, he's 60 years old. That would equate to 16,666 women a year since he was born. <laughs> Now, that's nearly 46 a day or just under two women every single hour for the entire 60 years he's been alive or about one every 37.5 minutes of his life since he was born. It's insane. Like, Seems legit. Yeah. Oh, it really doesn't. It really, it's just it's <laughs> unbelievable. Classic. Oh, dear. How about yourself, mate? Well, speaking of uh, Netflix documentaries, Mercedes boss Toto Wolf, what a name, 
believes that Netflix doco series Drive to Survive centered around the Formula One is Kardashianizing the sport. Oh dear, that's something you don't want. We'll be talking about sport curses in a future episode pretty soon. The Kardashians will appear. That's such a funny story. Swedish athlete Jesper Hellström did his best, uh, well, head first, triple <laughs> jump at the European. You've seen this clearly. The, sam- the salmon jump. <laughs> yeah. So Hellström joked afterwards, I thought quite immediately afterwards, I wonder if there will be any funny pictures from this. I can confirm, yes, there are definitely funny pictures from this. Oh, the the footage is ridiculous. He just he realizes after the the second part of the hop, skip, and a jump that he's not going to make it. He's in trouble, and yeah. he just launches <laughs> himself like a fish. Oh, it's brilliant. Haruyuki Takahashi, a board member for the Tokyo Olympics, was arrested on suspicion of taking bribes. It's been alleged that he received nearly four hundred thousand dollars from Aoki Holdings, an official partner of the well, twenty twenty Olympic Games. Hmm. <laughs> Bit dodgy uh... there. Shock horror. One more funny thing. The uh, World XL Championships were on ESPN2 the other day. <laughs> so get your hands Sorry. on that one. I saw I saw that online. Oh, my God. I just Insane. saw a tweet about it. I didn't actually see any footage, but uh, I kind of want to check it out, hey? How oh, the weird. commentary is hilarious. Like, there's, there's certain points that they could pick up throughout different rounds, and there was one guy who was right at the bottom of the pile. He had no points. He hadn't done anything. And then everyone realized they're like, oh shit, he's been setting this whole thing up. And it was, it was almost like people that play Tetris and they they're almost dead. And then all of a sudden they get that long piece and they just start taking out rows and rows and rows. And this guy just came back from nowhere. It was, it's hilarious. I was going to say they were playing checkers and he was playing chess by the sounds of it. He was. How how did they score it? How the hell like... I I don't I didn't actually look that far into okay, it, but yeah, I just fair enough. the just the sound of these commentators like oh my god he's doing like he's like he's doing this oh my god he's <laughs> oh, he's dear. a genius yeah it was uh, <laughs> well, he's filtered the fourth episode. column yes <laughs> he's frozen <laughs> it Whoa. yeah I'm not very good at Excel. Uh, a little closer to home, ninety-two-year-old George McCracken wrote to Melbourne Storm's Cameron Munster. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. All right, I have to read this verbatim. I I quote, Firstly, let me say I am 92 and have watched football all my life. Once there was a player for the Roosters called Soward who tried for penalties so much he was known as Milky. Now you are just the same. You call for penalties every time one of your team's opponents is slow getting off. But when your side does the same, you think it's okay. Well, it's not. So Milky, the ref is not conned by you. Now your ego is as big as an elephant because the press say so. I will tell you now of many five-eighths better. And thanks to news.com.au giving me first names here because I'm not a rugby aficionado. Wally Lewis, Brett Kenny, Terry Lamb, to mention a few. And none of them strutted like you. In my opinion, you're not worth $1 million. As the media says, you're just another player. Well, that tells him. Don't you love a 92-year-old letter to sports people? Uh, I think that's fantastic. Absolutely. And another thing. I'm sick of you using the word geezer. <laughs> now, we talked uh, about... Uh, look, I, I changed gears really quickly. I get a bit serious here. So we talked about the Manly Sea Eagles uh, pride jerseys and kind of the issues that have surrounded that in last week's episode. Let me tell you, it's just gone from bad to worse. That team is in a free fall. So they've gone from almost certain, pretty much certain finals appearers to maybe now missing out so those players that didn't want to suit up are now known as the manly seven and three of those were clearly supporting their former teammate i think manas fanu sorry if i said that wrong in celebrations after tries or what they thought were tries he actually is about to go to jail for stabbing a mormon church leader oh wow good so Again, a lot of people said, here's a bit of hypocrisy that, and look, it, again, it's a very grey issue and we won't kind of re-prosecute the arguments that we talked about last week, but geez, what a shit show down there at Manly. I, I will kind of draw something funny out of it though, that I did see in the news.com today, your article that I found pretty funny. So, and I quote, tagging Aloi, again, apologies if I said that wrong, while showing off a selection of meat understood to have been supplied by the Manly star. I just find it so funny. A selection of meat understood to be supplied by the Manly Star. Like that's a really important fact that like, they need yeah, to the, get right. The source, the source of the meat is everything. <laughs> and the sauce on the meat is tasty. Uh, What'd you miss, mate? 
Well, it's actually something going back to our little chat about the Commonwealth Games in the last recap episode we did. We actually forgot to speak about the story of David Weir, who is England's Paralympic marathon legend. So it's it's actually quite a disgusting story, really, when you think about it. So he's leading the T53-54 marathon by an absolute country mile. And all of a sudden, 10 kilometers from the finish line, he punctures a tire. Now, obviously, the fix of that is pretty straightforward. If you're talking about cycling, they've got loads and loads and loads of spare tires. Their teams follow them around and they would just change it on the spot, get back on and off they go. But for some unknown reason, on one of the biggest international stages, they don't have a backup tire for these guys who are basically pushing themselves the entire length of a marathon. And it's basically just tough shit. Mm. So this poor guy is gutted it out and basically wheeled himself to the finish line on one good wheel, finished seventh overall. Uh, a fellow Englishman, John Boy Smith, actually won the race. But as he said, post-race, you don't want to win like that. Like, it's just not the way to do it. I, I don't know how it's not possible to have somebody get a spare tire to him, even if it takes a few minutes. Like He's that far ahead that it wouldn't have mattered. So is but that instead, a rule or is that an oversight from the team? Well, I'm not sure if it was an oversight, but I don't believe that they ordinarily carry them. If it's a rule, I can understand it. But, geez, that's heart-wrenching, isn't it? It is. I mean, these guys, they practice their entire life for this sort of thing. And to have it just come down to the fact that, unfortunately, he's either driven over something or the wheel was just on its way out. I mean, that's, yeah, tough shit is just not, it's just not how you want it at the Commonwealth Games. What did you miss, mate? Well, I missed the start of the Melbourne and Carlton game last weekend, which was an absolute cracker because we were watching the Derby. Obviously, my my girlfriend's a big Dockers fan, so we are watching that one. I was keeping an eye on the score the whole time. It was looking like Carlton might get up. So, yeah, I didn't get to see the whole game, but I did re-watch the second half because, wow, what a finish. Cozzy Pickett, crazy goal at the end. And, oh, my goodness, it's it's exciting, and we'll get to the footy very soon. You could almost hear the Carlton fans' hearts breaking as that went through. So, sure, we don't have a hell of a lot of basketball this week, but we do know that uh, it's probably most of our listeners are basketball fans, so we'll open with that today. Yeah, so I guess the the big thing to talk about off the bat, we did speak about the sad passing of Bill Russell, but the league has decided to honour him by retiring the number six across the entire league. Now, 16 players wore number six last season, most notably LeBron James, Chris Dapps, Porzingis, and Alex Caruso. These guys can continue wearing it, although Bryn Forbes did change teams, so he might not get to. But the number cannot be reissued by any team. Now, the Celtics already have 23 numbers retired. If you want a number between 1 and 25, your choices are pretty slim. At what point are they going to have to start allowing these numbers to be worn again? Like Two of them are Walter Brown, the founder of the team, and Red Arbach, who coached. Like, What is your thought on them just completely blanket banning number six across the entire league? Yeah, look, I obviously it's a bit weird to say this after we spoke with such reverence last week because Bill Russell is such an important figure in the game and he's actually an important historical figure for the entire country of the USA when you think about human rights and, and all those sort of things as well. However, I don't love league-wide retired jerseys. I don't love it. I don't love the fact that Miami retired 23 for Jordan even though he never played there. I think the team that the person played for, maybe multiple teams, but even that I don't love. I think maybe their main team or the team they won the most championships with should be the one that retires their jersey. So, look, all things aside about how wonderful and great he is, I don't know about this one. What do you think? Where do you draw the line? That's the thing. Well, and and this is the the big thing. I mean, you, you look at it, Major League Baseball retired number 42 for Jackie Robinson. Similar sort of story, you know, a real trailblazer in terms of getting the rights for African-American players into Major League Baseball. But then National Hockey League did the same thing for Wayne Gretzky with number 99. I don't understand why they needed to do that. Yes, he's the greatest hockey player of all time. But, I mean, you can commemorate and honour a player without going quite as far as this. Like, have every player wear number six in the All-Star game this year, like they did with Kobe Bryant when and he passed away. Wear the armbands. But I do, I think it's a little bit too much. I mean, yes, okay, as I said, Jackie Robinson was a pioneer. He did amazing things. But they didn't retire number 13 when Wilt Chamberlain, who was arguably the most dominant player the game will ever see, passed away. They didn't retire 8 or 24 when Kobe passed. Are they going to have to retire 23 when Jordan leaves us? Like, it, That is the question. Where is the line? And LeBron wears 23 now too. 
Well, there you go. So yeah, I, I'm all about the team. The, the team they played for or were most prominent with if they played for multiple teams, I think that's the way to go. So, again, this is no slight on Bill Russell. He, is an, he was an amazing man. But, yeah. And, of course, this isn't his decision. This was the league's decision. No, of course not. Of but, course not. But you're, yeah, you're, it's tricky. It is tricky. It is tricky. And then on top of that, the Lakers have said they will display what can only be described as a massive clover leaf with the number six on it near the scorer's table for the entire 2022-23 season. Now, you've spoken about your disdain for Jason Tatum wearing the Kobe Bryant sweatband as a member of the Celtics. How blasphemous is this? It doesn't seem right, does it? It feels very odd. Yeah, yeah. And it's especially since they're the only guys doing it. Yeah, well, that's right. It's not a league-wide thing. Because I remember when Gene Upshaw died a few years, well, it's probably more than a few years ago now, the NFL had, had celebrations for him on fields and that sort of thing. And I, I think it was multiple fields league wide maybe even but yeah for one for the yeah it's it's odd it's very odd i wonder how jerry west feels about it Oof. wouldn't it's i don't know i just yeah it, it doesn't look right i've seen a graphic of it and just seeing that green clover on that wash of sort of gold and purple it just, yeah it doesn't look right it really doesn't Speaking of the lakers lebron's re-signed for 2 years with a third year player option and uh obviously that's uh the year that his son will potentially be in the league. Yep. It's a, a, a very, very solid deal for, for LeBron. I mean, getting a two-year 97 and possibly $110 million if they up the salary cap, he'll effectively be paying a 40-year-old $42 million a season, which is ridiculous. You think about guys that have been getting in the 30s while they were 35 years or older and how bad those contracts look. But it's, it's one of these things where I guess – if you look at the timing, not just with Bronny, obviously potentially being in the league, you've also got, I guess, a couple of guys that will be entering free agency. So Jalen Brown went to the University of California. He'll be a free agent then. You've got DeJounte Murray, DeMarta Sabonis, and then probably not much else. So AD as be interesting. well expires then. So they're, they're expiring to time out. Yeah, yeah. So it will be interesting, you know, what sort of Supermax player will they get to LA should LeBron leave, I guess. Um, and it's also, you know, one of these big moments, I guess. He becomes the first player to earn more than half a billion dollars in salary. So, Pipping I mean, KD. Do you, yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's a good deal? Um, well, for any other player, I'd say no. But he averaged 30 points a game last season. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's hard to argue with, really, to be honest. Yeah. I think the marketing side of things is quite interesting as well. I mean, you look at LeBron, he'll always make for good TV deals. So the Lakers, they've actually just dropped the schedule for next season. They've got 39 nationally televised games this season, second only to Golden State, even though they didn't even make the play-in last season. Ticket sales, they're always going to be high. Everyone wants to catch a glimpse of LeBron before he retires. Merchandise sales are going to be big. LeBron still had the second most sold jersey last season behind Steph Curry. So it may not translate into wins necessarily, but it probably will make sense financially for the, the entire franchise, I guess. Now, before we talk about the schedule that you alluded to in the Christmas Day games, for example, did you hear this quote from LeBron about the bubble playoffs? So, and I quote, without a doubt, it was the most hostile environment I've ever experienced. It was just so damn quiet, but you could see everything. Those virtual fans on the screens would write all kinds of messages. I remember walking to the free throw line in game four of the finals and look over to the right and a fan is holding up a Lapinus sign on his webcam. You really couldn't oh. look at those screens. I remember us talking about that. Well, I remember us talking about the people that were bringing like goats and other animals onto their screens. And um, there was, I mean, the unfortunate story of the person at the WWE who decided to dress up as a KKK member. Yeah, there was some really dodgy shit going on. There, yeah. there really were. Yeah, not good. So obviously, yeah, we just mentioned that the schedule has dropped. Christmas Day games is always the thing I get excited about. I don't really so much look at when the key matchups are. It's all about Christmas. So let's talk about the five games just quickly in terms of what our thoughts are. Philadelphia, New York, Milwaukee, Boston, Lakers and Dallas, Golden State, Memphis and Phoenix, Denver. What are your thoughts? Well, there's one clear outlier there for me. Why the hell do the New York Knicks have a game? Thank you. Thank you so much, Nathan. Oh, I appreciate you. But I will answer my own question. I think the league expects them to land Donovan Mitchell, which will help them dramatically. So, will it though? Well, I don't know. A core of a core of Mitchell, Brunson, Toppin, Barrett. It's 
And Randall, it's not a bad core. It's an undersized backcourt, which I have a bit of issue with. And maybe defensively, they won't be spectacular. But I, I think that's probably a playoff team. There's no way they're getting Donovan Mitchell without getting rid of at least Barrett or Toppin. There's talks that it revolves around Toppin quickly, Grimes, one other player and like six first round draft picks. Yeah, that's true. I'm assuming. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. The 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 Jazz are holding the entire league at ransom right now for Donovan Mitchell and I think he's overrated. He's a shit defender. He you know, he's a good offensive player but he he doesn't defend at all. He did nothing in the playoffs. So Yeah, I certainly yeah. wouldn't be mortgaging my future on him either. I agree. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So yeah, I I must admit I agree entirely. I think the Knicks thing okay, yes, they want to have Christmas at the garden. I get it, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to keep the Knicks in, it has to be the Knicks and the Nets. But I'm all for Philly, Miami. I think that would be way more fun. Oh, I like really the rest good of them. playoffs. Yeah, yeah. But like, if you're going to swap out Philly, it's got to be Philly, Miami. They played in the playoffs last year. Embiid wants to, I guess, play against Jimmy Butler. It's that that to me seems like the obvious way to go. But aside from that, it's not too bad. I mean, I wouldn't have minded seeing the Warriors and the Celtics. I like the whole narrative of the finals rematch on Christmas Day, but Warriors and Grizz will be fun. They had a good playoff series as well last year. So yeah, I think it's all in all, it's pretty good. Now, Ed Kupfer on Twitter has documented the miles traveled by each team. Do you want to have a guess at which team will travel the most in 2022-23? Probably the Hawaii Harlequins. (laughs) No. Proper guess. Proper guess. All right. Probably OKC. Well, you're right in that it's a West team, the Denver Nuggets. So they are a championship contender, but they're going to have the most miles traveled. And then the least, which is a good, I can't see exactly here, but it's a good 10,000 less, the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they'll have playoff aspirations. They're not a championship team, but, but traveling less will certainly help, I think. Absolutely, it will. The other big thing from the schedule for me, so for the Spurs 50th anniversary, on the 13th of January, they're going to set up to have 65,000 capacity. And if filled, will break the current NBA record for attendance of 62,046. So the team's going to be really shit. But hopefully for the 50th anniversary, the fans will get out and break the all-time attendance record for one game. There you go. That's at the Alamo Dome, of course. Speaking of the Spurs, Nath, I saw something on Twitter which would have absolutely had you at half-mast. There have been 141 players in NBA history who have played a thousand or more games. Only, <laughs> I saw this. Yeah. Only, only three of them have a career-winning percentage of 70 or higher: Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. Last place for anyone playing at home: Johnny Green and Reggie Theus at a touch under 40 percent. Not great. And Manu's about to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, of course. Deservedly so. My last NBA thing. So obviously the KD situation we talked about last week. We won't talk about it again today. I'm sure we will in the future. Andre Iguodala said, and I quote, I think he should stay in Brooklyn. Everybody grow up and make it work. Come out here and play or don't play. Do you know why I might mention that? Maybe something to do with his whole time at, where was it? Memphis? Memphis, yep. Refusing to play for Memphis. What a hypocrite. Yeah. A couple of quick hits with NBL kind of related stuff. So I see that Ray John Tucker has landed in Melbourne. He wrote, good day, mate. Might need to improve. Uh, you got to run it on. It's got to g'day. G'day. Wow. I nearly good replied, day. but I thought, no, nah, I won't be that guy. You could have just replied and said, well, you're in Melbourne, so there's every chance it'll be a bad day by the time you're done. <laughs> no, I just came good. back it's from good that Melbourne. He's trying the weather to... was meh. Yeah, fair enough. But it's good that he's trying to t- trying to get in. I see that he, he actually added uh, AFL trying to get tickets to the footy. So he is trying to become an uh, Australian pretty quick by this looks of things. Yeah, nice. Oh, that's good to see. The Tasmania Jack Jumpers sold out their memberships in just 26 minutes, which is pretty cool, according to the NBL. It was 26 tickets, so that probably works out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, look, it's not heaps, but it's still good. Oh, no, it's great for the state of Tasmania. I mean, they're... They've really got behind that team and what they did last season, we've spoken about it, was utterly ridiculous. Would have been such a fun place to play. And and indeed watch as well. And speaking of the NBL, so Hugo Basson obviously played in the NBL with the New Zealand team last season, the Breakers. He will be playing in France for the Metropolitans, Metropolitans 92 actually they're called, and he'll also be playing with Victor Wembanyama on that team. So when Banyama Rama begins. Yeah, so that's an interesting one for the NBL and NBA fans. Love it. 
So football coach Stewie, as I mentioned at the top, we purposely recorded this one second rather than our redrafting NBA 1991. Look out for that next week because we wanted to make sure tonight's game was over. And boy, let me tell you what a surprising outcome. I did not think Brisbane were going to be that insipid at home. And I didn't get to see any. I don't know if you saw any. Crazy. I saw a good chunk of it. Yeah, I saw most of the first half and a decent bit of the second half. It's funny you're sort of saying we wanted to wait until the game was over. It was over very early. Yeah, that's true. It, it, <laughs> we just wanted to get the final score. So Melbourne have helped their percentage a great deal, which puts the pressure on Sydney. Melbourne won 15, 18 goals, 7. More accurate than last week against Carlton. Brisbane, 8 goals, 9, 57. Oh, terrible. And and the thing we're talking about as well, six goals to one in the first quarter and seven goals to one in the second. So we're talking 13 goals to two at halftime. It was an absolute shellacking. Cozzy Pickett was dominant early. I think he kicked three goals in the first quarter and had four for the game. Bailey Fritch had another four. Ben Brown looked really dangerous up front with three goals as well. So, yeah, just a an all-round amazing performance by a Melbourne team that kind of looked like they're, they're maybe starting to turn the corner slightly. Yeah, so prior to this, they were three and five against top eight teams. And when they had that great winning streak at the beginning of the season, nine out of those 10 teams are not current finalists. So that early season form maybe wasn't as good as it looked. But geez, that is a big statement win. Yeah, I think statement is absolutely the word. I mean, all around the park, they were just dominant. The midfielders were really, really clean. The pressure that they applied to Brisbane, certainly in that first half, I didn't see as much of the second half, but the pressure was just outstanding. You know, they maybe benefited from a couple of slightly dodgy free kicks early on, but they were just consistently all over Brisbane. And yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it, it sums up my feelings about the Brisbane Lions that I've had for many, many weeks now. They're, they're just not up to it against the top level sides. So as I say, it puts a lot of pressure on Sydney. I think that Melbourne would now be odds on to finish second and Sydney third if they win against St Kilda. Now, this may have all happened by the time we upload this. We will do our best to upload it a little bit quicker than usual. But yeah, it's going to be a very interesting final round. Already like a big surprise. I know not every game will go to plan, surely. Hawthorne at Tassie against the Dogs is an interesting one. Carlton Collingwood's going to be a really interesting one. Sydney St Kilda is no guarantee. The Dockers losing to GWS in Canberra would be a very Dockers thing to do. So, oh, and we've got the showdown in Adelaide. So even though that's a dead rubber, that's that's had a lot of bite over the week as well with a lot of barbs being traded by the players. So, yeah. And I West, think, Co- I think West Coast West Coast well, could go into Goomba and beat Geelong. Yeah, no, no. God. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about the Eagles a little bit more next time we do a recap episode, I think. But uh, uh, no, we, no, we won't. No, well, uh, yeah, we will. We're going to have to. Yeah, true. Now, I've mentioned the Swans a couple of times. I mentioned Collingwood. Collingwood's streak is now over. It was a very impressive one. So the Cats and the Swans now hold the the longest streaks in the league. Geelong are on a 12-game winning streak. They've done it six times in the 2000s. Pretty much any other team has only done it once, apart from the teams that haven't done it. So that's very impressive indeed. Very it impressive. Is. The Swannies are on a six-game winning streak. They should beat St. Kilda in Melbourne, but eh, it's no guarantee. And crowds, crowds are going to be bumper. So nearly 870,000 people watched the Sydney Swans-Collingwood game, which would have been the fourth highest Sunday afternoon home and away fixture. Those Sunday afternoon games are traditionally a bit shit. So, so that's big. And there's talk that Carlton Collingwood is going to be an absolute bumper as well. They're calling it the biggest game between those teams since the 1988 finals, if I'm not mistaken. So... Carlton win and they're in. Collingwood win and they're in the top four. So the stakes couldn't be higher, really. Got to ask the question, Stewie. How many teams can win it and who? Well, I'm actually going to expand my list slightly. I'm expanding it to five. Okay. And I'm actually add, I'm adding this. So I'm moving the Swans up from that hybrid mix right in the middle. I'm moving them up into genuine premiership contenders now. And I'm actually going to add Richmond. And I know that that might be one of those ones people go, well, I'm not really sure, but... Richmond have won three of their last four and a draw. So they've done really well the last month. Dusty Martin could play finals. The Swans, as you mentioned, six in a row, they're peaking at the right time. You add that to Geelong, Melbourne and Collingwood for me. I still don't believe in Brisbane, as I've said, and they they showed why tonight. I don't believe in Fremantle on the big stage and I don't believe in Carlton or the Bulldogs, depending on who finishes eighth. So that, that's who I've got five. Yeah, no, I've got yeah. Richmond too. They're going to be very dangerous. They could play in Melbourne the entire finals if they win their they way could. through. 
So, no, I agree. They've got the pedigree. They won three in four years. They're not too far removed from that. So, definitely. They're not top of the list, but I've got them there too. Geelong, top of the list. Sydney and Melbourne in two. Collingwood and Richmond. Maybe Richmond ahead of Collingwood. But, yeah, they're the teams I have. Definitely, I agree with you. Absolutely, after tonight's insipid, disgusting performance, I would be so pissed off if I was a Lions fan. They've probably blown another season. Might be another Lockie Neal, Brownlow season. But it doesn't mean shit. Because they could go out in straight sets. Well, they might not make the. They probably won't make the four now. I think so. They could go out in one game. There's a very, very strong possibility that at least Collingwood or Collingwood and Fremantle could go past them. So, yeah, Brisbane could easily finish up fifth or sixth. If they finish fifth, they're going to end up playing probably the Western Bulldogs. I would say. I, I actually like them to finish ahead of Carlton. And if they finish sixth, there's every possibility they play Richmond. And pff, nobody wants to play Richmond right now. Speaking of Richmond, I think I've actually found my favorite non-West Coast player in the entire league, Morris Rioli Jr. How good is that kid to watch? Oh, silky smooth. And, and the Rioli genes, I mean, ugh. like go and watch old footage of Morris Rioli. He's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I'm not surprised at all. Just like the pressure that he applies, he causes so many turnovers. His his turnovers have led to more scores for Richmond than anyone else in the league for their respective team. I saw that, and yeah. He, and, and he's barely, like, he's not barely played, but he hasn't played as much as a lot of these other players. So, yeah, I just, I remember distinctly trying to watch for him in the game last week. And they just, I mean, they absolutely did a number on Hawthorne. But, God, it was so much fun to watch this kid play. He's absolutely going to be a star for many, many years to come. Yeah, hopefully. There's no reason mm. to think otherwise. Now, just quickly, the tipping. We are not going to reveal where we're standing right now because we're well, trying we don't to even go, know. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're trying to go in blind. It is getting very much to the pointy end of the season. The result tonight was interesting. Nath, you had Brisbane winning at home. Yeah, well, they're just a different side at home, and Melbourne were looking a bit shaky. So even though they beat Carlton, it took a lot. If Carlton had kicked straight, Carlton probably win that game last week. So. That was a massive surprise for me. Melbourne Melbourne have flicked the switch, I think. And yeah, Brisbane, are, they're very good at home and they're pretty average away from home. So yeah, the, I think you've won the tipping, mate. But that's fine with me. If the Swannies, if the Swannies can make the granny, that's fine. I don't give a fuck about the tipping if the Swans can do well in the finals. Well, I suspect no, that you have jumped ahead of me because you had a nine last week, didn't you? I did. I did. My first ever nine, which is... Uh... Quite surprising. I've been tipping for a while, but never, never pick. I've always sort of gone for one upset per round for some reason. And uh, yeah, finally got the nine. I was nine off the margin as well, just to compliment that even more. So it was, uh, it was a good round. Hard to know where we're both at. Yeah, I had an eight because I picked Essendon and they were fucking shit. So we watched after the Swans Collingwood game finished, we watched the rest of the Essendon Port game, which was probably oh, the second half of the third quarter and all of the fourth quarter. It was a training drill for Port. Like, my goodness. What a yeah, what a, a shit show at Essendon. And they've missed yep. out on Clarko too. <laughs> yep, absolutely. No, that was yeah, that was an utter disgrace. It was basically last round's Melbourne-Brisbane game. And you'd think Clarko was Jesus Christ himself, the way teams were chasing him. Hey, like, my goodness. Yeah. I, I think it's a good story. He's ended up at his old club in North. And and I think I think I really like North's young list, actually. Like they've got Several years to get to the top, but but I do I do like what they're what they're building there. So I think it's an interesting decision. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of expectation on his shoulders. Well, he's not gonna turn North into Hawthorne. He wouldn't have turned Essendon into Hawthorne. It's just it's not gonna happen. But they need a good coach. They need somebody who's gonna attract free agents to come and play with them and stay with them. That's the big thing. Like they they struggle really to keep quality players and Hopefully that will be enough to draw a few decent players in there over the next few years and get North back to some sort of respectability. Now, I know you've seen this one as well, Stewie. Jeremy Howe was nominated for Mark of the Round. Uh, it's got to be Swampy. It's a Swamp thing on Twitter. Nomination since 2011. Richmond have the most with 62. West Coast, 58. North and Adelaide, 54. Down the list, down the list. Collingwood without Howe, 41. Jeremy Howe alone, 39. That's tied yeah. with Hawthorne, and it puts him ahead of Sydney, Melbourne, St Kilda, GWS, and Gold Coast. Melbourne without Howe, that is. But what? Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's a once-in-a-generation player in terms of the consistent hangers that he takes. And we talked about... Jessalenko, you beauty! In our last episode, Great Sport Chokes 5, and 
He's a modern Jezelenko, isn't he? He is. I mean, Jezelenko, Kappa, Modra, and then how how does he do it? <laughs> now, this one gave me a chuckle, Stewie, to round out the footy. AFL asked, who is the most underrated defender in the league on Twitter? Richard Hines replied, Christopher Townsend, QC. <laughs> Referring to the Patrick Cripps. <laughs> oh, very, very good. He left his feet and he hit him in the head with his hip. He should have got at least a week, I reckon, hey? Nah, play on. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's it's such a tough one. It really is. There's, I don't know. Anyway, it's it's not going to change the fact that he, he got away with it and Carlton is still probably going to miss the finals. A couple of very quick things in the NFL. Deshaun Watson, we spoke about it last time. He's, uh, he's had his suspension upped, I believe, to 11 games and a $5 million fine, which I, I think is um, slowly getting towards where it potentially should be. Couple of things though. His return game stats, according to NFL memes, one for five, seven yards, zero first downs, zero touchdowns, twenty-four lawsuits. So he's uh, oh jeez, yeah, do, I know. It's, do you know who he's facing in his first game back, Stewie? It's a bit fishy. The Houston Texans, his old team. His first ah, game back is against his old oh, team. That feels a bit manipulated, eaten. doesn't it? He's going to get eaten alive. But doesn't that feel a bit fishy? That's a bit. Mm. Yeah, it is a bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, even over the weekend, he was playing against the Jags in some preseason game, and the Jags fans were chanting, you sick fuck, to him while he was getting ready to take a snap. So he is going to cop it everywhere he goes. And look, maybe deserved, maybe not. We don't know, but it's pretty safe to assume, I guess. I find it weird that you can play in preseason games if you're suspended. Yeah, I know, right? It, like it should be blanket. Like if your suspension happens to kind of traverse a, an off season, it should just be given that you are not playing in any preseason games either, and they don't count yeah. towards the penalty. I, I find that very odd. Absolutely. Now I do want to backtrack a little bit on last week. What I didn't realize is that a grand jury opted to not indict him on charges. So even though I said that settling civil cases is a sign of guilt. The fact that the grand jury didn't indict him does maybe mean the criminal cases aren't as strong. Well, it definitely means that because they didn't opt to indict him. So he's actually still maintaining his innocence. He's he's given these weird kind of apologies, the old kind of uh, I'm sorry for my decisions or it, it, it's kind of the old like, I'm sorry you're offended for my actions kind of apologies. The, so, the Mel, like the Mel Gibson yeah, apology. Yeah, yeah. So a bit dicey. It is. Speaking of dicey, Antonio Brown, on a scale of one to ten, how fucking nuts is that guy? Yeah, pretty fucking nuts. You could actually argue that he kind of helped <clears throat> blow a Pittsburgh Steelers season when they were going pretty well with his antics a few years, or probably more than a few years back. So yeah, no, nah, he's always been a always been a bit of a basket case. Absolutely. So he actually took to Twitter recently to talk about his biggest career regret. And I have to quote this because it's absolutely insane. I've got this in front of me too. (laughs) My biggest regret in my career doesn't involve calling my GM a cracker or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet or throwing rocks at that UPS driver. And it definitely doesn't involve taking my shirt off and doing a victory lap around the Jets stadium mid game while throwing up deuces. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a game live. Sure, I can watch the games afterwards, but I can't imagine what that was like for you all to see something like that, like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. The best thing about that quote, Stewie, Red Rocks Park and Amphitheatre tweeted, that Jesus set was fire. (laughs) That's awesome. That is so good. Oh, God. Honestly, what an absolute nutbag. Yep. Yeah, like he's he's a good player. He's a damn good player. He was a very so good far. receiver. You know, very good, yeah. very, very one of the best in the league for a number of seasons with Pittsburgh. But definitely. Like, like I had a look at a Bleacher Report list for the top ten wide receivers of all time. He was an honourable mention. Didn't even crack the top ten. Yeah, just these diva wide receivers with these massive egos. They're, they're yep. a dime a dozen, unfortunately. Yep, absolutely. Couple of quick hits for NFL for me. So I saw a couple of NFL on CBS tweets. No one has scored more touchdowns than Todd Gurley since 2016 with 69. To put that in perspective, he didn't even play a snap last season and he didn't play a hell of a lot the couple of seasons prior to that. So that just goes to show how good he was when he was at peak. I had him on my fantasy team, which helped get me into the final. 
Um, imagine if imagine if if Gurley decided to play rugby and played for Manly. <laughs> well, speaking of fantasy, one of the players in in my league called themselves Jacking Goff to Gurley picks because at that stage Jared Goff was their quarterback. So that was pretty. Ah, that is good. The other CBS tweet I saw of the nearly two hundred quarterbacks to have started fifty or more games since nineteen sixty, Mitchell Trubisky is the only one to have never thrown a pick six. Hmm. Yeah. For those that don't know, that's an interception leading to a touchdown. So, look, he's probably closer to 50 than more than 50, but he will be playing for Pittsburgh this season, and I think he'll be all right. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? So, the bloody hell this week goes to the organisers and umpires of the Canadian Open Tennis Tournament. Now, Casper Rude was playing at the event last week, and during his second-round match with Roberto Batista Agut, Rude went off for a bathroom break to change his clothes. Now, he wanted to change his undies as well, so I get why he went to the back, but he was hit with a code violation because apparently if you call for a toilet break, you have to actually go to the toilet, Stefano Sitsipas. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it led to a very unusual back and forth with umpire Fergus Murphy. It's a bit wordy, but kind of worth the listen. Now, Nath, you like to be an authority figure, so you will be umpire Fergus Murphy. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little bit rude, so I'll be Casper Rude. Yeah, it sounds right. All right. What? But I used it to change my clothes. You have to go to the bathroom as well. That's the rule. But if I need to change my underwear, what do I do? Do it on the court? No, no, no. You can do both. It's called a bathroom break. But if I need to change my clothes, what do I do? Yeah, I know that, man. But the rule is covered by the bathroom break rule. You can change your clothes, but you have to go to the bathroom when you say you're going to the bathroom. But I didn't say I was going to the bathroom. I said I was going to change my clothes. No, I heard that. My socks, my underwear, my shorts, my t-shirt. That is covered by the bathroom break rule. Okay, well, next time I take it, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I just go into the toilet. You have to go to the bathroom. That's your business. But when you don't go, I have to give you a warning for not going. That's why I'm explaining it. So what is it? Like a $3,000 fine or something? I have no idea about that. What an absolute fucking joke that is. First off, he didn't. Yeah. How, do, how do they even know he didn't use the butt while they didn't hear a flush? Like, how do yeah, they know? Somebody, somebody's watching. Ooh. Like, oh, I guess maybe because they're worried about, what, performance-enhancing drugs or something. It's the That's... Canadian open voyeur cams. So speaking of which, did you see that Draymond Green had a blunt station at his wedding recently? I did see that, yeah. Like, there was, was like, uh... several ounces of weed sitting on a table. Like, these guys get drug tested. That's so weird. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's off topic. But it's like, Bloody hell. where do you draw the line? Like, if you fart, does that count? Or or like... Yeah, and this is what's crazy about it. He didn't pretend he was going for a toilet break. He he didn't conceal the reason he was going to the back. And he cops that. And you get other players doing it all the time. I, I thought his argument was completely airtight. And the stupid part about it is that if he'd just gone into a stall and pretended to poop, nothing would have happened. Exactly. Common sense has to prevail, surely. It really does. Absolutely ridiculous ruling. So to the Canadian Open officials and for a rule about changing that needs to be changed, all I can say is, putain d'enfer, bloody hell. Very nice. Just a really quick follow-on, actually, funnily enough, from that same tournament. One of the more random moments I've seen in the doubles, during a doubles match between Andres Moltani and Santiago Gonzalez and the team of Robert Farah and Juan Sebastian Cabal, a smash was put away that bounced from court five to court nine, where Diego Schwartzman and Albert Ramos Vinolas were playing. The umpires called it a let as the ball bounced just past Ramos Vinolas's racket, and he sent it back to court five, where the doubles match was just concluding another point. They got confused and sent the ball back to court nine, just as Ramos Vinolas was about to serve before the umpires finally took the ball and put an end to the craziness. <laughs> it was quite funny watching this ball bounce back and forward between the courts. It really was. Oh, bonus bloody hell. Yep. Bloody hell. You've got some golf, Stewie. I do, yeah. Jeez. Talk about going from hero to goat overnight. Everybody loved Cameron Smith as he won the Open a month ago. The mullet was flowing. Talk of seeing how many beers could fit in the jug. And then all of a sudden, he's pretty much committed to joining the, the Live Tour as the number two player in the world. There's been a ton of backlash, as there seemingly has been with every player that seemed to be defecting. But I think with Smith being so successful already, it seems to have been a lot worse for him. 
Now, I was actually in Melbourne last week for work. I had a really interesting conversation with my wife's half-brother about the whole live tour. Now, he is a professional golfer. He has his tour card, so he's a, a bloody good player. And I'd actually would love to get him on the show to run through what he said to me. There was a lot. We talked for a long time about this, but Ooh, essentially it fun. seems... It would be. Well, because he gives it a different perspective. He's a guy who is has really been sort of grinding to get back onto the, the tour. He's saying that it causes issues because, the, you know, the prize money is made up of sponsorship and TV rights. But if the fields are diluted because of this tour, the product becomes less appealing, sponsorship drops out or is completely pulled. It's it's not good. There's no real win. But he was sort of talking about, I oh, will have a chat to him and see if we can get him on the show. It'd be absolutely amazing. Yeah. But there was a lot that happened at the St. Jude Classic. Now, there's three particular incidents I wanted to talk about involving Smith. The biggest probably revolves around the two-stroke penalty he was assessed. Now, he actually got that assessed to him at the start of the fourth round. So he was two shots back from the lead at the end of the third. But during the third round, it was deemed that he took an incorrect drop on the fourth hole. Now, he's hit his tee shot at a par three into the water. He's taken a drop, and the ball was seen to be straddling the red out-of-bounds line but the ball actually has to be dropped entirely outside of the line. Now, he didn't realize that at the time. He played his shot. He walked off the green, and he's basically signed his card at the end of the day. Now, the guys that were watching this, so Chief Referee Gary Young saw it happen live, and even though Smith had another 14 holes to play, didn't seem to be able to get the message to him that he's probably put down an incorrect score, which is very interesting. Because if you go back to the 2021 Masters, you had Matt Wolf disqualified for I signing an incorrect scorecard. Yeah. Yep. You had Y.E. Yang at the 2021 PGA Championship as well. So I don't know whether maybe the rules changed and I'm not aware of it, but he's very lucky that he wasn't actually disqualified for signing the wrong card. And the timing's a little bit on the nose. You think about the impact that would have had on the betting lines as well. He would have been going into the fourth round, one of the favorites. And all of a sudden, he's two shots further back and finished six shots away from where the lead was. Now, the second thing that was uh, was doing the rounds as well was the very obvious action of world number one, Scotty Scheffler, walking across Smith's line on the green. This was a, <laughs> a very clear price. Did you see it? All right, well, I, I actually had it on my short list for what caught your attention, but I knew you had some golf, so I figured that you were probably going to bring it up. So that's why I didn't bring it up at the top. Yeah. It's one of these things, like, I understand he's trying to basically make a point here, but it's actually pretty disappointing to see a world number one not be able to take the moral high ground. Like, like walking in someone's line is one of the worst shows of etiquette possible on a golf course. I've heard somebody say it's the equivalent of basically hitting someone with a pitch in baseball. Right. Like, it's it's really, really poor form. And like, yes, okay, you're pissed off at the guy, but there's no excuse for that. And, and I tell you what, the look on Cameron Smith's face... He looked like he was ready to start throwing fists. I saw mixed reports too. So I saw some reports saying that they shook hands and made up, but I, I also saw a quote from Cam and he kind of basically called him a bit of a shit bloke for doing that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they'll ever make up properly. I think there'll be bad blood between the defectors and the, the guys that have sort of stayed true to the uh, the PGA tour. I, I don't think they'll, they'll ever really be able to reconcile that. And then the other story was just a quick one where he's actually put a pretty errant drive into, I guess, a group of fans. and He's actually hit a kid's phone. It sort of hit, his, hit him in the thumb and smashed his phone. And he's given this kid a brand new iPhone 13. And look, everyone's sort of saying, oh, you know, maybe he's not that bad a guy after all. But he signed a $140 million deal. Like it's a $1,000 phone. It's not going to break oh, the bank. Oh, it's chump change. Yeah, yeah. It's like Absolutely. the Deshaun Watson. Like $5 million sounds like a big fine. He's literally got more than a quarter of a billion dollars in guaranteed money. If he never plays another snap, he gets that yeah. money. So, yeah. Exactly. And and this is not to say that I think Cam Smith's a shit dude. Like, I understand why he did it. But, you know, I mean, you don't have to say that he's a saint because he bought the guy a $1,000 phone. I mean, Nick Natanui bought a brand yes. new phone for, for Riley O'Brien, who is on a, he's certainly on a much smaller contract than Cam Smith is. Did he say Cristiano Ronaldo smacked a phone out of an autistic kid's hand too, unfortunately, the other day? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I don't know the reason behind it, so I won't make a comment on it, but... Uh, yeah, he's it just a shit bloke. No, it was... Yeah, well. it, like, they lost a game that they shouldn't have lost, and Manu's woes are well-documented, but didn't need to happen. No, absolutely not. Now we'll finish our smorgasbord with some cricket, Shui. 
Yeah, we've got a couple of retirements, one great one and one really disappointing one. So we'll start off with Kevin O'Brien, an absolute champion of Irish cricket. He's hung up the bat internationally some 16 years after making his debut. When he debuted for Ireland, though, they were one of many associate nations struggling to have a go against the big nations. And he he helped them gain test match status, played historical tests against Pakistan in 2018, which the Pakistanis actually only won by five wickets. And then the infamous 2019 test against England at Lords where Tim Murtagh and Mark Adair ripped through the English top order, skittled them for 85. And that was after being eight for 58 as well. Before uh, Jack Leach played one of the more memorable Night Watchmen innings of all time with 92 in the second dig. And then they got bowled out for 38. Which yes, so I remember bad. that one. Yeah. And he, he did all right in the World Cups too. They they had some, some pretty good... Ma- well, they upset some teams in World Cups. Of course, India and Pakistan didn't qualify for the finals at the first one we went to in 07 in the Caribbean. So... Correct. But I think the biggest one is another one that we actually watched in Bangalore in 2011. What do you remember of that? Oh, of course, Chewie. How could I forget them beating the Poms in a pretty big score too? It was over 300 from memory, wasn't it? Yeah, 328. That was ridiculous. O'Brien made 113 off 63. And just quickly, that was one of the weirdest World Cups for England. They let the Netherlands make 292 against them in Nagpur. They eked out a draw against India off the last ball. They needed 13 off the last over to get there. They lost to Ireland. They should have lost to South Africa. They only needed 172 and couldn't get there. They lost to Bangladesh. And then the West Indies were bowled out, needing less than a run a ball in the last match. All of that. And then Sri Lanka blitzed them by 10 wickets in the quarterfinals. Absolutely disgraceful, honestly. <laughs> but anyway, going back to O'Brien, a well-deserved retirement to an absolute legend, a big hitter, uh, an absolute character of Irish cricket, just a, an absolute champion. And all-rounder too, of course. So a very, very useful player to have. Big shoes to fill for whoever comes in and, and tries to uh, be the next guy for him. Now, this one did happen just over a month ago where Lizelle Lees retired from the South African Women's International team. She gave an interview with BBC Stumped Podcast where she said, quote, I said, yes, but if you break the fitness battery down, what did I not make? I made the fitness, the running, but not the weight. So you're dropping me because of weight. So as a woman, that breaks me. And look, for me as a bloke, that breaks me. You're talking pure talent. She's one of the better ODI batters in the world. She's averaged over 36 across 100 matches, third all-time for South African women behind only Laura Wolfhart and Jomari Lotenberg. Just, yeah, an absolutely sensational player. Now, I understand general conditioning has to come in play. But if she's making every component of the fitness aside from the weight and she's contributing to success... Is that even valid? Yeah, this is where advanced metrics and new sport science can get a bit silly. It can can overthink itself sometimes, can't it? Well, it can. I mean, you look at some players who have, I guess, struggled with weight a little bit over the course of their career. Aaron Finch's weight's never been something that kept him out of the Australian side. Mark Taylor. Yeah. Mark Cosgrove. Exactly. He had a decent career. Okay, he didn't play for Australia much, but he had a decent career. Booney. Yeah, there's been plenty. Yep. I mean, if you want to go extreme, Dwayne Leverock, Raheem Cornwall, they played internationally despite being very large gentlemen. Yep. And and this is the thing, like her weight never really caused much of a hindrance to her abilities. I mean, she was, a, as I said, a quality opening batter. She was pretty handy in the slips as far as I'm aware, like just an all-round great cricket player. And to have someone forced out of the game because of a number on the scales as opposed to their skill is it's so disappointing. It really is. Dare I say, Stewie, wait and see. Year later. Oh. oh. Do we have a title? Oh. <laughs> At the 11th hour? <laughs> we might do. We might do. A couple of quick fire ones. New Zealand T20 stuff. Did you see New Zealand put five for 254 on Scotland in a T20 at the Grange Club in Edinburgh? No, I didn't. I haven't been following the cricket much at all. I've been all AFL lately. No, fair enough. Now, look, admittedly, this is an absolute postage stamp. It's the same ground that Scotland made 371 on against England in an ODI and actually won the match. But to go for 12.7 runs and over for their entire innings is very, very impressive. Mark Chapman had 83 off 44. Michael Bracewell blasted 61 off 25. And uh, speaking of Michael Bracewell, how's this? Picked up a hat trick in his first T20I over that he bowled. Wow, yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it was the third T20 between New Zealand and Ireland at Stormont. And in typical New Zealand orthodox spin fashion, see Dan Vittori, picked up the first two wickets with catches on the boundary that probably should have been sixes. But look, it's still difficult to do. 
He joins Jacob Oram and Tim Southey as the only Kiwis to do it internationally. Now, interestingly, there have only been 38 hat-tricks total since Brett Lee took the first one against Bangladesh in 2007, and only three over the next eight and a half years. There were seven last month. Oh, wow. I mean, there are more games these days, but yeah, that's nuts. There are. And look, a lot of them are those real minnows. I saw like the Czech Republic and freaking Tahiti or something. Like, uh, yeah, okay. There's a lot, yeah, of, yeah, okay. <clears throat> a lot of minnows. But yeah. again, you've still got to take them. Indeed. Speaking of the minnows, one of the great things about the emergence of European cricket in the various leagues, we're starting to see some stories like the one of French opener Gustave McKeon. So they're having the 2024 T20 World Cup sub-regionals. McKeon actually became the first man to score back-to-back T20 centuries. Scored 109 off 61 against Switzerland and then 101 off 53 two days later against Norway. Also had a 76 off 54 against the Czech Republic and 87 off 51 against Estonia. So his 286 from his first three innings actually broke Azar Andani's record for the most runs from his first three T20I digs. Really impressive. And he's only 18. All right, Stu, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, we're only eight games away from knowing whether you can take the tipping title away from me or if I can make it back-to-back years. Time for the mind games to begin. No, you've no, won look, it. Another fascinating... I have... Well, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Look, another fascinating fortnight in the world of sport. Still waiting for so many big decisions in the NBA on guys like Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, and even Miles Bridges. But it's all about the footy now. Swanee's well-positioned. How deep can they go, Nate? I reckon we can win it all. I'm not saying we will, but I reckon we can. Stay tuned next week for the redraft 1991 as well. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.